0: Hey, hey folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books, So Little Time. Today we will be starting a new book Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Cue the music. Okay, so uh, if we sound a little different, folks, uh, it is because Aru and I are not in the same room.
1: No, thanks to our global viral situation, not ours, as in not as in Dave and me, but We did this! (laughs) No, as in humanity's current viral uh, complication that is um, running rampant in the world, we are currently in our individual homes which are approximately 6 to 8 kilometers distant from one another.
0: Only 8 kilometers?
1: I know, it's it's not actually that far away.
0: Yeah, I guess, yeah, if if you cross all the lakes and fields and everything, you know, driving, it takes what seems like longer.
1: 20 minutes, roughly, give or take. But yes, yes. Yeah, so we are currently in our respective homes, using our respective microphones, and hence, it's... And using... We should give a shout-out to cleanfeed.net.
0: And, of course, Discord. We're using the video function through Discord, uh, yes. so we can kind of still have a semblance of face-to-face, although the way my webcam is set up means that it's kind of impossible for us to have, like, eye contact.
1: Now, Dave <laughs> is giving me continuous side eye, which is yeah. which is an awkward kind of thing. Now, I can't tell if he's he's annoyed at me or... Um, Oh, oh,
0: always, Ru, always.
1: Always. always. Yes, yes. Sorry. There's going to be some clicking, but it'll be gone. Yeah, we'll Um, we'll
0: try try and downplay or edit out as much as if there's any strange audio hiccups, that kind of thing.
1: And and mouse clicks because I realized I didn't have the, the recording feature on the side of my video, so it was either or, and that did not work for me.
0: Yeah, ba- huh. basically, I think long way around, we're saying this episode is kind of an experiment. It's a work in progress, very similar to um, 1984. What is it about dystopian fiction and forging new frontiers on this podcast?
1: What's I about to say? Isn't uh, this entire series or this entire book uh, based on the concept of experimentation and human control? So, well, I mean, that's pretty well, much dystopian fiction. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Arguably. The yeah, we, we were discussing so when we were testing out this system, sorry, ah, um, when we were testing out this system to begin with, we, we were commenting on how usually we have the one mic and we share, and it feels a little bit like a camp like two people around a campfire sharing stories and having a conversation. And this one is a little bit of a more remote way of doing things. Another thought that came to me is like a talking stick. What? <laughs> You know the talking stick. That when you have the talking stick, you can talk. Oh, it's okay. A, it's it's what the, yeah, It's a it's a strange cultural thing that has been reemphasized in multiple settings.
0: Is it uh, also linked with campfires?
1: Yep, yeah, also linked with campfires and connection and community. So as we as we are engaged in what is appropriate physical distancing due to the current um, global necessity thereof, we are still engaging in social solidarity and support.
0: And because we want to keep things as normal as possible, how about we comment on the weather?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so as the northern hemisphere slowly um, escalates and accelerates into the summer season, well, spring and then summer, we are currently hurtling at light speed towards our winter, also known as flu season. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what a wonderful time
1: what a wonderful time and excellent sequence of events for this kind of health catastrophe anyway yeah it's it's becoming drizzly and wet and both dave and i um, I, I i can't speak for dave but i know that um, i've observed that with dave and i we both prefer the cooler weather
0: yes yes it's been lovely over the past couple of weeks we have had a few oh summer still around type days but um, they've been less and less. I think it was last week was the first time that I got to pull the covers over me when sleeping.
1: Yes. It's usually too hot.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's usually, uh, I mean, it's weird uh, the way insulation works in houses. Like, the afternoon it really heats up because the whole morning finally seeps into the house and then it takes, you know, till like the middle of the night for the heat to escape. So it's You go to bed with the covers off because it's too warm and then i tend to wake up you know like three or four in the morning and put them back Mm -hmm. on because it's finally Mm gotten to a stage where you want to be covered up again
1: um to be blunt though i think that has to do heavily with the weather not just our houses and the way they're (laughs) insulated the weather's just usually silly and hot and humid until a very late time in the night and if you're lucky it actually cools down by three or four but yeah, summer is not our favorite season over here. Also known as ridiculously hot and humid.
0: Oh, um, Whereas... actually, on that uh, note, I, I um, my roommates and I, we've been watching a BBC documentary series, one of the Attenborough ones called Seven Wonders, One Planet. Uh, so an episode on each continent. Yes. And yes. Uh, there was, when they were covering Asia, they went to the deserts of i think it was around iran and mm. uh, Edinburgh just threw this out there it goes in the middle of the day these deserts get up to 70 degrees celsius and i was like oh, but what
1: 70 degrees yes no no no
0: and then I deny it went that reality <laughs> and and then it went into you think something wouldn't be able to live here but you know life
1: Uh, Well, yeah, I'm actually curious what the genuine temperatures out in the Simpson Desert and other places are in the peak of summer. I suspect they're quite high.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, you know, they have that uh, heat map. Yes, Um, yes. Didn't we hit
1: purple, like, almost continuously in certain sections of Australia this year?
0: Well, I remember a couple years ago, they had to add a new shade of purple to the map because some of the South Australian deserts were getting up into the 50s.
1: Australia, starting new trends. Like changes in the weather maps because we just broke them. Well, <laughs> excellent.
0: What was really funny was um, when we watched the episode on Australia. It took some time up in the uh, the mountain ranges, and it had kangaroos jumping around in the snow. And I'm like, "That's not real. It doesn't snow <laughs> like that here." <laughs> it
1: does. It's just we don't get to see it because we're in the su- we're in the subtropics. We don't get snow in the subtropics. Strangely. Hmm. Um, we do get frost occasionally, but it's extremely rare.
0: Oh, I love that when you wake up. It lasts like the...
1: <laughs> for the two seconds that it lasts.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's beautiful.
1: It is. So, so um, uh, yes, please, Steph.
0: See, this is a problem because we're no longer in the same room. And there's this idea of there's even the slightest delay using the Internet. We're probably going to be talking over each other a lot.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: But, hey, them's the breaks.
1: So, Dave, what book will we be reading today?
0: Well, as we said at the end of our Anna Green Gables finale, uh, we're going to be uh, reading Brave New World. We said that at the top of the podcast.
1: Yes. Which yes, is we did.
0: about 10 minutes ago. But uh, so uh, this is very similar to 1984 in that Rue has not read this book, and I have read it a few times. Um, And I think I mentioned also that every time I read Brave New World, every time I read 1984, I read Brave New World as well because I like to put them together. I think they approach the dystopia from different angles. So as a whole, I find them fascinating. Uh, When it comes to other dystopian fiction, like if we were going to continue this theme in the future, I personally don't like Fahrenheit 451 and i think we decided that we don't neither of us really want to read the handmaid's tale
1: no i, I with all full respect to uh, margaret atwood for cr- crafting her uh, work it's just not a concept that i like, i don't have the, the the emotional and mental capacity to process at this point in time
0: no that that's fair
1: yeah that's how i'm gonna phrase that and 1984 was pretty hard. I know roughly the concepts of Brave New World, mainly because, long story short, I've seen um, students kind of explore whether those, the principles raised in the book are actually legitimately possible in our current society with our current technology. Right they were specifically describing one part of the technology and saying this is very similar to xyz technology that is available and then they didn't really go into into the book too much but they were discussing one aspect of technology that was interesting to them to identify because they have to do okay sorry the students for this course that i teach part of the i'm one of the tutors for the course they have to look at genetics and like molecular techniques and genetics in the ethical and the ethical dimensions and the practical dimensions for humanity so it's just not just thinking about these concepts in the technology in theory and learning how it works but also thinking about the implications and applications and how it can actually pose some questions it's not an ethics subject it is a it is a science like hard science subject but we like them being aware that they need to consider the ethical dimensions, they need to consider the human impact and social impact of these technologies and what that really means and what it could mean and, and being ready to have those conversations, really.
0: I like that because um, one heavy criticism of the STEM fields a lot is that uh, uh, the humanities is lacking or even just uh, the exploration of ethics is lacking.
1: Yeah. You'd be surprised, like because of the the le- potential legal repercussions and the potential. I mean, it's not to say that the, the stereotype of the scientist who just wants to go and do stuff without limitations doesn't exist. Those exist. Of course they do. But the vast majority of scientists do actually think about the implications of their work. They think about the what if most of the time. I'm not, you can't say all the time. We usually only hear of the cases where they don't in the media. We don't actually hear about the 99% of the time where they do.
0: Like the whole thing where, you know, you have a thousand people respond to your work. 999 said good and positive things and one person was really mean. And that's the one you focus on.
1: Exactly. Except in this case, those who are completely devoid of any sort of ethical concepts. I'd actually say one field that is more prone to i mean i can't say it is speculative but i see a lot more decisions made without impact awareness in terms of uh not healthcare, but maybe resource distribution is the way i want to think of it like when we're talking about resource distribution and being willing to sacrifice vulnerable populations for the well-being of The rest, much, we we will go into that probably if we can get around to recording our short story selection. Of um, uh, Ursula Le Guin's short story is probably a good example of what I mean. That decision making
0: more economics.
1: It is, I guess, but it's not. I think economics is complicated. I think uh, so. One of the big things that's been coming out of this crisis, and I'm just going to quickly let it out there we have allowed economics which is a tool of civilization or a tool of society to become the priority rather than society so we treat our society as needing to function in order for economics to exist right which makes no sense we are a society with an economy we are not an economy with a society yes and we're hearing that echoed again and again um, a friend of mine who's uh, Dr. Blair Williams has expanded a little on this and further people have discussed this, mostly sociologists. But you'll be probably seeing a lot of, by the time this comes out, you'll have a lot of literature out there already discussing this concept. So yeah, it's it's important.
0: Okay, well, when I brought up the idea that uh, like 1984, you have not read the book, but as you said, you've uh, encountered some of the ideas within the book. I just wanted to ask you kind of a general your knowledge or uh, what, what, uh, what you know about the book before going into it?
1: Well, I know that there's a society, there's um, (laughs) those who are obviously in control. Well, a society, there's a society. Um, Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) There's a society, there's those who are in control, that there's different classes of people I've figured or that are created, or different groups of people, that there's uh, drug use in order to control certain populations and that there's a genetic element in terms of determining which groupings one belongs to. That That's the rough idea that I've, I've gotten and that it's actually a lot more sinister once you scratch away the veneer, hence the use of drugs to make people l- less aware of that.
0: And that's one reason I've been so excited about having you on board for this read through, because especially the first few chapters dig into the science of the science fiction mm. and I mean yes this is science fiction written at the turn of the uh, 20th century so mm-hmm. i i i I mean even even reading just the ideas it, it sounds wrong on, but I, I I like the idea that you actually know a lot of this stuff so i'll we'll go into the story and just imagine you want to butt and go nope that ain't right. Nope, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> I will preface this with the reminder that we do not agree with the ideas that are set forth in this in this or any fiction in terms of they do not represent our ideas, principles, or approaches to life. Thank you.
0: Okay, well, shall we get started with Brave New World?
1: Yes. There's 18 chapters.
0: Ah, so... Uh, if if we're thinking similar uh, chapter length to Anne, it will be a much smaller book. Mind you, remember how long some of the chapters in 1984 were? Yeah. Our mammoth four-part <laughs> chapter 17.
1: That's, that's, hopefully that will not be the case.
0: I don't think this book has any lore dumps from memory, or if it is, it's all front-loaded. Mm. Okay. okay. Brave New World. One. A squat grey building of only 34 stories. Over the main entrance the words, Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Centre, and in a shield, the world's state motto, Community, Identity, Stability. The enormous room on the grand floor faced towards the north. Cold for all the summer beyond the panes, for all the tropical heat of the room itself, a harsh thin light glared through the windows hungrily seeking some draped lay figure, some pallid shape of academic goose flesh, but finding only the glass and nickel and bleakly shining porcelain of a laboratory. Wintriness responded to wintriness. The overalls of the workers were white, their hands gloved with a pale corpse-colored rubber. The light was frozen dead. A ghost. Only from the yellow barrels of the microscopes did it borrow a certain rich and living substance, lying along the polished tubes like butter, streak after luscious streak in long recession down the work tables. And this, said the director, opening the door, is the fertilizing room. Bent over their instruments, three hundred fertilizers were plunged as the director of hatcheries and conditioning entered the room. In the scarcely breathing silence, the absent-minded, soliloquizing hum or whistle of absorbed concentration. A troop of newly arrived students, very young, Ping and Callow followed nervously, rather objectly, at the director's heels. Each of them carried a notebook, in which, whenever the great man spoke, he desperately scribbled, straight from the horse's mouth. It was a rare privilege. The DHC for Central London always made a point of personally conducting his new students round the various departments. Just to give you a general idea, he would explain to them, for of course some sort of general idea they must have if they were to do their work intelligently though as little of one, if they were to be good and happy members of society as possible. For particulars, as everyone knows, make for virtue and happiness. Generalities are intellectually necessary evils. Not philosophers but sawyers and stamp collectors compose the backbone of society. Tomorrow he would add, smiling at them with a slightly menacing geniality, you'll be settling down to serious work you won't have time for generalities. Meanwhile it was a privilege. Straight from the horse's mouth into the notebook, the boys scribbled like mad. Tall and rather thin but upright, the director advanced into the room. He had a long chin and big rather prominent teeth, just covered when he was not talking. By his full floridly curved lips. Old, young, thirty, 50, It was hard to say. And anyhow the question didn't arise. In this year of stability, AF-632, it didn't occur to you to ask it.
1: We're going to find out what AF is, right? Oh, yes. Good. good.
0: <laughs> For those of you who know, you probably giggled a bit at that question, too. Yes. I shall begin at the beginning, said the DHC, and the more zealous students recorded his intention in their notebooks. Begin at the beginning. These, he waved his hand, are the incubators. And opening an insulated door he showed them, explained, At blood heat, whereas the male gametes, and here he opened another door, they have to be kept at 35 instead of 37. Full blood heat sterilizes.
1: Just for our American readers and listeners, that's in centigrade, not in Fahrenheit.
0: Right, Huxley was English, wasn't he?
1: Yes, yes he was.
0: Rams wrapped in the Remigene beget no lambs still leaning against the incubators he gave them, while the pencils scurried illegibly across the pages. A brief description of the modern fertilizing process spoke first of course of its surgical introduction, the operation undergone voluntarily for the good of society, not to mention the fact that it carries a bonus amounting to six months' salary, continued with some account of the technique for preserving the excised ovary alive and actively developing passed on to a consideration of optimum temperature, salinity, viscosity, referred to the liquor in which the detached and ripened eggs were kept, and leading his charges to the work tables actually showed them how this liquor was drawn off from the test tubes, how it was let out drop by drop onto the specially warm slides of the microscopes, how the eggs which it contained were inspected for abnormalities, counted and transferred to a porous receptacle, how, and he now took them to watch the operation, This receptacle was immersed in a warm bouillon containing free-swimming spermatozoa at a minimum concentration of 100,000 per cubic centimeter, he insisted. And how, after 10 minutes, the container was lifted out of the liquor and its contents re-examined. How if any of the eggs remained unfertilized it was again immersed and if necessary yet again. How the fertilized ova went back to the incubators where the alphas and betas remained until definitely bottled. While the gammas, deltas, and epsilons were brought out again after only thirty-six hours to undergo Bokhanovsky's process, you know it, the writing itself, like that. I think that was a whole sentence, that entire page, and Most it, ju- of it. it just didn't flow well. So, it, it, if you're confused listening to me reading, I, I was confused reading it too.
1: No, it's it, yeah, it's mm, it's interesting. So, I've, what I'm gathering is that there's the alphas and the betas.
0: And the, and gammas, the delt- gammas,
1: deltas, and epsilons. Yep. You hold on to the alphas and betas. They stay in the safe spot. And then the gammas, deltas, and epsilons are treated somehow. Which we to find out. Possibly.
0: I think we're about to learn what uh, Bakanow- Bokanovsky's process is. Bokanovsky's process, repeated the director and the students underlying the words in their little notebooks. One egg, one embryo, one adult normality. But a Bokanovskified egg will bud, will proliferate, will divide from 8 to 96 buds and every bud will grow into a perfectly formed embryo and every embryo into a full-sized adult, making 96 human beings grow where only one grew before. Progress. Essentially, the DHC concluded, Bokanovskification consists of a series of- (laughs)
1: Like Huxley! He was frustrated his entire life, people wouldn't pronounce his name right. So he's like, ha, you know what? I'm going to get you guys to listen to the, uh, well, he's like, how...
0: at least I don't have a Russian name.
1: <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. That's what it's reading like. Uh,
0: essentially but... the DHD concluded Bukhanovsification consists of a series of arrests of development we checked the normal growth and paradoxically enough the egg responds by budding responds by budding the pencils were busy he pointed on a very slowly moving band a rackful of test tubes was entering a large metal box another rackful was emerging machinery faintly purred it took 8 minutes for the tubes to go through he told them 8 minutes of hard x-rays being about as much as an egg can stand a few died Of the rest, the least susceptible divided into two. Most put out four buds, some eight. All were returned to the incubators where the buds began to develop. Then after two days, were suddenly chilled, chilled and checked. Two, four, eight, the buds in their turn budded, and having budded, were dosed almost to death with alcohol, consequently burgeoned again, and having budded, bud out of bud out of bud, were thereafter further arrest being generally fatal left to develop in peace. (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) my head is hurting from the science behind this but we'll just let it go good good
0: we'll we'll continue on and um interject whenever you want of course I was kind of you're happy uh, you
1: got through the sentence
0: yes triumphant that I got through that whole process
1: (laughs) um yeah
0: by which time, the original egg was in a fair way to becoming anything from 8 to 96 embryos, a prodigious improvement, you will agree, on nature. Identical twins, but not in piddling twos and threes as in the old viviparous days, when an egg would sometimes accidentally divide, actually by dozens, by scores at a time.
1: Yeah, no, it's... it's uh, that's not the technique, but something like that happens in IVF. Sort of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we do need to... Rem- what oh, what year was this again? Let me just look. This up. is
1: the early 40s, late 30s, I'd say. Early 40s. No, he was early 30s, I thought. Uh, 1932 was when yeah, this was... Yeah,
0: 1932. Um... He
1: was pre-1984. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, yes. 19, 1932 is before 1984.
1: Very funny. <laughs> Oh dear.
0: Scores, the director repeated, and flung out his arms as though he were distributing largesse. Scores. But one of the students was fool enough to ask where the advantage lay. My good boy, the director wheeled sharply round on him. Can't you see? Can't you see? He raised a hand. His expression was solemn. Bokonovsky's process is one of the major instruments of social stability. Major instruments of social stability standard men and women, in uniform batches, the whole of a small factory staffed with the products of a single bokonofsky egg. Ninety-six identical twins working ninety-six identical machines. The voice was almost tremulous with enthusiasm. You really know where you are, for the first time in history. He quoted the planetary motto, community, identity, stability. Grand words. If we could Bukhanovskify indefinitely the whole problem would be solved. Solved by standard gamma's unvarying delta's uniform epsilons. Millions of identical twins. The principle of mass production at last applied to biology. But alas, the director shook his head, we can't Bukhanovskify indefinitely. 96 seemed to be the limit, 72 a good average. From the same ovary and with gametes of the same male to manufacture as many batches of identical twins as possible, that was the best, sadly a second best, that they could do. And even that was difficult. For in nature, it takes 30 years for 200 eggs to reach maturity. But our business is to stabilize the population at this moment, here and now. Dribbling out twins over a quarter of a century, what would be the use of that? Obviously, no use at all. But Podsnap's technique had immensely accelerated the process of ripening. Ripening. <laughs> 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 they could make sure of at least 150 mature eggs within two years. Fertilized and Bukhanovskify, in other words, multiply by 72 and you get an average of nearly 11,000 brothers and sisters in 150 batches of identical twins all within two years of the same age. And in exceptional cases, we can make one ovary yield us over fifteen thousand adult individuals. Beckoning to a fair haired, ruddy young man who happened to be passing at the moment, Mr. Foster, he called. The ruddy young man approached. Can you tell us the record for a single ovary, Mr. Foster? Sixteen thousand and twelve in this center, Mr. Foster replied without hesitation. He spoke very quickly, had a vivacious blue eye, and took an evident pleasure in quoting figures. 16,012 in 189 batches of identicals. But of course they've done much better, he rattled on. In some of the tropical centers, Singapore has often produced over 16,500 and Mombasa has actually touched the 17,000 mark. But then they have unfair advantages. Uh, Just a warning there is an outdated word coming up. You should see the way a Negro ovary responds to pituitary. It's quite astonishing. When you're used to working with European (laughs) material, oh, Uh. Still, he added with a laugh, but the light of combat was in his eyes and the lift of his chin was challenging. Still, we mean to beat them if we can. I'm working on a wonderful delta minus ovary at this moment. Only just 18 months old. Over 12,700 children already. Either decanted or an embryo and still going strong. We'll beat them yet. That's Mm -hmm. the spirit I like, cried the director and clapped Mr. Foster on the shoulder.
1: This is very much um, emphasizing the ooh, racist stereotypes of overpopulation, but it's it's being rewritten in the context of this, where it's it's a produ- like it's a preferable, it's a wanted, desired thing. Well, because it seems yeah, like yeah.
0: each country can control their own population number wise based on yeah. how many new humans they can create.
1: So i um, understand. So delta minus ovary. So we've got our. Alpha, beta, gamma, they go to the side, they special. Then you've got your delta, epsilon. Oh, no, no,
0: just alpha and beta were in the top. Sorry. So yeah. alpha,
1: beta save them for specialness. They don't get mass produced in Chardonnay factories, but the delta, uh, delta, sorry, gamma, delta, epsilon.
0: I think all of them get mass produced, but it's just that the the... And I'm using air quotes. Here, the lesser ones are put aside, and they're treated more with alcohol and such things to make sure they're more pliant once the um, the social that conditioning yeah. um, begins. What we'll, we'll get into that. But later. also the
1: mass production. It seems to be that you're, you're wanting a mass production of a quote-unquote lesser population. That's what it's giving the at least. This. Yeah. Sense.
0: Well. Well. The the people that run everything. Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: the the menial tasks. I should say. Yes, Which the ones aren't, who are currently aren't saving,
1: right now, who are currently in conjunction with our, our um, health care departments, absolutely saving everyone's bacon as much as they can. Yes,
0: we're, we're learning yeah. they aren't that menial after all.
1: Or that menial doesn't mean lesser. Yes. I think that's the thing. Yeah, or it shouldn't mean lesser. It might literally mean lesser. I don't actually know the etymology of the word, but it's like physical tasks are not making someone less.
0: Well, it's also that thing I, I'm sure you've heard it said a lot before, but I, I've read a lot about it, how every time someone gets a promotion, they've they've observed that as their pay rises, the work they have to do becomes lesser. Yeah. Their job gets easier the more money they
1: make. Uh, I have feelings, never. Mind.
0: We're going to have many of these conversations based on the book, but also based on just the current climate. I mean, that happened with 1984. Yeah. I, I mean yeah the, the whole reason I started this podcast was in response to the 2016 American election. Yeah, you know yeah the yeah. um and and I guess we've talked about it so often how what is in these books bounces off what's happening in the world currently and it creates hopefully the entertainment that you're listening to right now
1: yeah it, it's it's we're gonna learn I think we're learning a lot right now, but we're also going to be learning it, it's interesting. The word,
0: basically, yeah, the idea that um, good, good art and the way the world is kind of bounce off each other.
1: I'm just having a moment. An 18 month old ovary. I, I'm
0: guess. I'm guessing they don't live that long usually.
1: Well, no, an 18 month. No, as in, is it an 18 month old ovary or is it from an 18 month old?
0: Oh no, no, the the ovary. They they've kept it going for 18 months. They've been okay, no, that's splicing fine. from it.
1: They, well no we don't do that but yes yes
0: yeah i, I would think a, a, a baby would not have a fully formed yeah. yeah so yeah the the director just had a bit of that british that's the spirit
1: <laughs> Yeah.
0: come along with us and give these boys the benefit of your expert knowledge mr foster smiled modestly with pleasure they went in the bottling room always harmonious bustle and ordered activity flaps of fresh sous peritoneum, ready cut to the proper size came shooting up in little lifts from the organ store in the sub basement Ooh, well, that's uh,
1: disgusting That's or, disgusting.
0: organ store mm. Mm. <laughs> whiz and then click the lift hatches hue open the bottle liner had only to reach out a hand take the flap insert smooth down and before the line bottle had had time to travel out of reach along the endless band whiz click Another flap of peritonium had shot up from the depths, ready to be slipped into yet another bottle. The next of that slow interminable procession on the band. Next to the liners stood the matriculators. The procession advanced. One by one the eggs were transferred from their test tubes to the larger containers. Deftly the peritoneal lining was slit. The morula dropped into place. The saline solution poured in, and already the bottle had passed, and it was the turn of the labelers. Heredity, date of fertilization, membership of Bokanovsky Group details were transferred from test tube to bottle, no longer anonymous, but named, identified. The procession marched slowly on, on through an opening in the wall, slowly on into the social predestination room. (laughs) Mm. Social predestination. 88 cubic meters of card index, said Mr. Foster with relish as they entered. Containing all the relevant information, added the Director, brought up to date every morning, and coordinated every afternoon, on the basis of which they make their calculations. So many individuals of such and such quality, said Mr. Foster, distributed in such and such quantities, the optimum decanting rate at any given moment. Unforeseen wastages promptly made good. Promptly, repeated Mr. Foster. If you knew the amount of overtime I had to put in after the last Japanese earthquake, he laughed good-humoredly and shook his head. The predestinators send in their figures to the fertilizers, who give them the embryos they ask for. And the bottles come in here to be predestined in detail, after which they are sent down to the embryo store, where we now proceed ourselves. And opening a door, Mr. Foster led the way down a staircase into the basement. The temperature was still tropical. They descended into a thickening twilight. Two doors and a passage with a double turn. Insured the cellar against any possible infiltration of the day. Embryos are like photograph film, said Mr. Foster waggishly, as he pushed open the second door. They can only stand red light, and in effect the sultry darkness into which the students now followed him was visible and crimson, like the darkness of closed eyes on a summer's afternoon. The bulging flanks of row on receding row and tier above tier of bottles glinted with innumerable rubies, and among the rubies moved the dim red specters of men and women with purple eyes and all the symptoms of lupus. The hum and rattle of machinery faintly stirred the air. "'Give them a few figures, Mr. Foster,' said the director, who was tired of talking. Mr. Foster was only too happy to give them a few figures. two hundred and twenty meters long, two hundred wide, ten high,' he pointed upwards, like chickens drinking. The students lifted their eyes towards the distant ceiling. Three tiers of racks, ground floor level, first gallery, second gallery, the spidery steel work of gallery above gallery faded away in all directions into the dark. Near them three red ghosts were busily unloading demijohns from a moving staircase. The escalator from the social predestination room. Each bottle could be placed on one of 15 racks. Each rack, though you couldn't see it, was a conveyor travelling at the rate of 33 and a third centimeters an hour. 267 days at 8 meters a day. 2,136 meters in all. One circuit of the cellar at ground level, one on the first gallery, half on the second, and on the 267th morning daylight in the decanting room. Independent existence, so called. But in the interval, Mr. Foster concluded, we've managed to do a lot to them. Oh, a very great deal. His laugh was knowing and triumphant. That's the spirit I like, said the director once more. Let's walk around. You tell them everything, Mr. Foster. Mr. Foster duly told them, told them of the growing embryo on its bed of peritonium, made them taste the rich blood surrogate on which it fed, explained why it had to be stimulated with placentin and thyroxin, told them of the corpus luteum extract, showed them the jets through which, at every twelfth meter from zero to twenty forty, it was automatically injected spoke of those gradually increasing doses of pituitary administered during the final 96 meters of their course, described the artificial maternal circulation installed in every bottle and meter 112, showed them the reservoir of blood surrogate, the centrifugal pump that kept the liquid moving over the placenta and drove it through the synthetic lung and waste product filter, referred to the embryo's troublesome tendency to anemia, to the massive doses of hog stomach extract Mm. and foal's liver, with which, in consequence, it had to be supplied. Showed them the simple mechanism, by means of which, during the last two meters out of every eight, all the embryos were simultaneously shaken into familiarity with movement, hinted at the gravity of the so-called trauma of decanting, and enumerated the precautions taken to minimize, by a suitable training of bottled embryo, that dangerous shock. Told them of the test for sex carried out in the neighbourhood of meter two hundred, explained the system of labelling a T for the males, a circle for the females, and for those who were destined to become free martins, a question mark, black on a white ground. For of course, said Mister Foster, in the vast majority of cases, fertility is merely a nuisance.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: One fertile ovary in twelve hundred—that would really be quite sufficient for our purposes but we want to have a good choice, and of course one must always have an enormous margin of safety, so we allow as many as 30% of the female embryos to develop normally. The others get a dose of male sex hormone every 24 meters for the rest of the course. Result? They're decanted as free martens, structurally quite normal, except he had to admit that they do have the slightest tendency to grow beards, but sterile. Guaranteed sterile. Which brings us at last, continued Mr. Foster, out of the realm of mere slavish imitation of nature into the much more interesting world of human invention. He rubbed his hands, for of course, they didn't content themselves with merely hatching out embryos. Any cow could do that. We also predestine and condition. We decant our babies as socialized human beings, as alphas or epsilons, as future sewage workers or future... He was going to say future world controllers, but correcting himself said, Future Directors of Hatcheries, instead. The DHC acknowledged the compliment with a smile. They were passing meter 320 on rack 11. A young beta minus mechanic was busy with screwdriver and spanner on the blood circuit pump of a passing bottle. The hum of the electric motor deepened by fractions of a tone as he turned the nuts. Down, down, a final twist. A glance at the revolution counter, and he was done. He moved two paces down the line and began the same process on the next pump. Reducing the number of revolutions per minute, Mr. Foster explained, the surrogate goes round slower, therefore passes through the lung at longer intervals, therefore gives the embryo less oxygen. Nothing like oxygen shortage for keeping an embryo below par. Again, he rubbed his hands. But why do you want to keep the embryo below par, asked an ingenious student. Ass, said the director, breaking a long silence. Hasn't it occurred to you that an Epsilon embryo must have an Epsilon environment as well as an Epsilon heredity? It evidently hadn't occurred to him. He was covered with confusion." "'The lower the cast,' said Mr. Foster, the shorter the oxygen. The first organ affected was the brain. After that the skeleton. At seventy percent of normal oxygen you get dwarfs. At less than seventy, eyeless monsters, who are no use at all,' concluded Mr. Foster. Whereas," his voice became confidential and eager, If they could discover a technique for shortening the period of maturation, what a triumph, what a benefaction to society. Consider the horse. They considered it. Mature at six, the elephant at ten. While at thirteen, a man is not yet sexually mature, and is only full grown at twenty. Hence, of course, that fruit of delayed development, the human intelligence. But in Epsilons, said Mr. Foster very justly, we don't need human intelligence. Didn't need it, and didn't get it. But though the Epsilon mind was mature at ten, the Epsilon body was not fit to work till eighteen. Long years of superfluous and wasted immaturity. If the physical development could be speeded up till it was as quick as, say, a cow's, what an enormous saving to the community!" Enormous, murmured the students. Mr. Foster's enthusiasm was infectious. He became rather technical, spoke of the abnormal endocrine coordination which made men grow so slowly postulated a germinal mutation to account for it. Could the effects of this germinal mutation be undone? Could the individual epsilon embryo be made a revert by a suitable technique to the normality of dogs and cows? That was the problem, and it was all but solved. Pilkington at Mombasa had produced individuals who were sexually mature at four and full grown at six and a half. A scientific triumph, but socially useless. Six year- old men and women were too stupid to even do epsilon work, and the process was an all or nothing one. Either you failed to modify at all or else you modified the whole way. They were still trying to find the ideal compromise between adults twenty and adults at six. so yeah, far just
1: just just, mm-hmm. just that that very young sexual maturity was pretty disturbing and gross so yeah just yeah well, that... uh,
0: noted and agreed. <laughs> <laughs> They were still trying to find the ideal compromise between adults of twenty and adults of six, so far without success. Mister Foster sighed and shook his head. They're wondering.
1: really disturbing.
0: <laughs> oh yes, yes. I, I think once I'm over, you you you'll have had the time to for it to settle, and we'll have a better conversation. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, see what I mean by how it's front loaded? Yeah, yeah. The 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 book opens up with, "Let me take you through a tour of our factory." <laughs> Their wandering through the Crimson Twilight had brought them to the neighborhood of meter 170 on Rack 9. From this point onwards, Rack 9 was enclosed and the bottle performed the remainder of their journey in a kind of tunnel, interrupted here and there by openings two or three meters wide. Heat conditioning, said Mr. Foster. Hot tunnels alternated with cool tunnels. Coolness was wedded to discomfort in the form of hard x-rays. By the time they were decanted, the embryos had a horror of cold. They were predestined to immigrate to the tropics, to be minor and acetate silk spinners and steel workers. Later on their minds would be made to endorse the judgment of their bodies. We condition them to thrive on heat, concluded Mr. Foster. Our colleagues upstairs will teach them to love it. And that, put in the director sententiously, that is the secret of happiness and virtue, liking what you got to do. All conditioning aims at that, making people like their unescapable social destiny. <sighs> like
1: it
0: from a modern lens that that that, that's uh that's a truth hammer (laughs)
1: yeah from a modern lens it's something that's continuously done in in corporate environments just obviously not in an embryo like this not but in terms of love your work love what you do
0: welcome to the family
1: yeah anyway
0: in a gap between two tunnels a nurse was delicately probing with a lawn fine syringe into the gelatinous contents of a passing Mm -hmm. bottle The students and their guides stood watching her for a few moments in silence. "'Well, Lenina,' said Mr. Foster, when at last she withdrew the syringe and straightened herself up. The girl turned with a start. One could see that, for all the lupus and the purple eyes, she was uncommonly pretty. "'Henry,' her smile flashed redly at him, a row of coral teeth. "'Charming, charming,' murmured the director, and, giving her two or three little pats, received in exchange a rather deferential smile for himself. What are you giving them? asked Mr. Foster, making his tone very professional. Oh, the usual typhoid and sleeping sickness. Tropical workers start being inoculated at meter 150. Mr. Foster explained to the students, the embryos still have gills. We immunize the fish against the future man's diseases. Then turning back to Lenina, 10 to 5 on the roof this afternoon, he said, as usual. Charming, said the director once more, and with a final pat, moved away after the others. On rack 10, Rows of next generation's chemical workers were being trained in the toleration of lead, caustic soda, tar, chlorine. The first of a batch of 250 embryonic rocket plane engineers was just passing the 1100 meter mark on Rack 3. A special mechanism kept their containers in constant rotation. To improve their sense of balance, Mr. Foster explained, doing repairs on the outside of a rocket in midair is a ticklish job. We slacken off the circulation when they're right way up so that they're half starved and double the flow of surrogate when they're upside down. They learn to associate topsy turvydom with well-being. In fact, they're only truly happy when they're standing on their heads. And now, Mr. Foster went on, I'd like to show you some very interesting conditioning for Alpha Plus intellectuals. We have a big batch of them on Rack 5. First gallery level, he called to two boys who had started to go down to the ground floor. They're round about meter 900, he explained. You can't really do any useful intellectual conditioning until the fetuses have lost their tails. Follow me." But the director had looked at his watch. 10 to 3, he said. No time for the intellectual embryos, I'm afraid. We must go up to the nurseries before the children have finished their afternoon sleep. Mr. Foster was disappointed. At least one glance at the decanting room, he pleaded. Very well then, the director smiled indulgently. Just one glance. And that's chapter one.
1: So, I have feelings. Um, I don't tell know me, how much tell I'm me thinking. your feelings. <laughs> so my feelings on it so far are that's horrifying. And <laughs> it's also not really sci- no. If anyone ever had any doubts, no, that is not science. No.
0: There were a <laughs> lot of how it works. <laughs> there were a lot of science words in there.
1: Lots of science words, but no, it's not how it works. It really isn't how it works. I, I like I like how they're being inoculated whilst they don't have an immune system. That's <laughs> it's, it's not going to do much, buddy. Hey, I'm going to throw a bunch of chemicals and physics at them and they'll fix it. it it's, it's obviously written without grasping how things work, but, you know.
0: How about the ideas, okay. though?
1: Yeah. Terrifying as well. So it's like, aside from the idea of pre- predetermining people's roles based on—actually, um, that's the thing that the students were looking at. It's like, how do you, can you predetermine people's uh, future work based on their genetic presentation? And I mean, ultimately, they argued that you can't because epigenetics exists, which is a whole other topic. Our genes don't just switch on and there we are. Yeah. Our genes are constantly switching on and off. That's how, for example, as they described, in, the, the embryos have gills for mm. a bit. That, well, as to whether we actually have gills or whether we have struck, we have the genetics, for example, for gills. Right. It's just that we don't switch on those genes. They are never switched on because we've evolved past that. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So we have a lot of genetic material and information back from the past that we don't switch on. But then there's other genes that we do switch on and off depending on what's going on. For example, if you have severe sleep dep- deprivation, um, stress, and a whole bunch of other things, your genes will switch on and off in order to compensate for that. Right. And it will change the risk of things. It's it's, it's a lot more... Uh, epigenetics is a whole other topic. But even just normal, quote-unquote, normal genetics, even if it's not epigenetics, what you have as your genetics is not necessarily what's going to present, because sometimes they just don't switch on. The genes right. don't switch on. Um, and they, they depend on other factors. Like if it's, it, like they're trying to condition them using uh, temperature. Sorry. No. <laughs> so, yeah, the science is, is very out of whack. Um, the concept as to what they're trying to do, also disturbing and unethical and gross. Um <laughs> So, yay. Yeah. <laughs> this is horrible.
0: So, so, we're off to a good start then.
1: Yeah. That was
0: chapter one.
1: Excellent. Um, but, yeah, it's been... That's that's an interesting start. Uh, Aldous is... I, I, I need to find out if he was a biology major or if that was just what they used to think happened.
0: Mm, I, I, must, I know.
1: Oh.
0: I must say, because um, it's been a while since I last read the book, but... I don't remember the language being so difficult to, you know, so so technical. I I guess I remember that the start of the book was basically here's how the world works, and then the story okay. begins. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I I will edit them out, but I tripped out up on a lot of the words and those run on sentences. And
1: so we had the concept of heredity. I'm just going to straight up go. Heredity is the idea of you know how offspring demonstrate traits from the parents mm. yes that study that kind of study has been around for a while but particularly put into mathematical understanding mostly by um someone called uh Johann uh, gregor Johann mendel uh who's in uh, i think he's austrian i'm not sure i've got to look it up um sounds austrian i think he was austrian he was a german family german speaker in in the austrian empire so he might have been czech who knows but the point is that they started the field... He's considered the father of genetics. He okay. was looking at the idea of that there was patterns of inheritance or heredity. It didn't... And, and the way he looked at it, he was looking at peas. He mainly did a lot of studies looking at peas because he would breed certain peas, certain colored uh, flowers with other peas of certain colored flowers, and then they found found mathematical patterns in it. Huh. Yeah, so it's, it's it's interesting. It was still very, very... And this is... So this would have been like back in the nineteenth century. This is like uh, the uh, I want to say ten or twenty or thirty years. Okay, wasn't I'm finding out. Okay, nine, oh, almost a hundred years maybe. Nineteen eighty okay, eighteen fifty six and eighteen sixty three were the main times. Right. So we're talking a significant chunk of time. Mm. Part So the concepts were there but the practical stuff wasn't so we we understood some things we didn't understand all things can i just say the casual ableism is not great mm. uh, i mean a lot of this is not great but i guess that's why it's a dystopian fiction <laughs>
0: the, the, the the idea also that you know people to do meaning uh, what we consider menial tasks they don't need to have be burdened with intelligence
1: yeah some really disturbing concepts super disturbing concepts uh sorry i'm just having a moment of of dealing with it processing the the commentary on yeah the commentary on a pleasure, like the you know or the idea of early ripening of (laughs) just the words
0: ripening as, yes. as to to be used for for a uh, a human being that that
1: um... yeah well for any species really i humans yes but generally any species it's creepy hmm. because i mean humans particularly because there's social implications and, uh, hmm. and now my i mean we're going to go into this when we read the book but my query is going to be they've made 30% of the the pop, female population able to have children or at least be for, for, quote unquote fertile. Uh, obviously this isn't addressing a whole bunch of other things that are that we've now realized. And by female, I mean how the author is meaning female. Let's not go into the rest of the complications that what really is going on in reality for the purposes of this book, what they determined to be male and female.
0: I'm, I'm just trying to find the word he used. There was that, uh, he had. They had a special name for the uh, the people. They made sterile on purpose. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Which and I guess we, did... we used to call. Okay, them we Unix. need to we need to probably note that the language that is being used here is quite outdated. Like mm. quite on many levels, yeah. outdated. But yeah. Ugh.
0: Let me just yeah. see if I can quickly find. Is, um, oh, how the workers in that area all look like they had lupus.
1: Yeah, that's a really odd thing to say. I mean, th- unless they're trying—he's trying to say they all have rickets and and scurvy, which I suspect would be a more appropriate description. But I mean, I don't think, as far as I can tell, Aldous Huxley does not have medical training of any form. <laughs> um... So he—he's out here. Basing it probably on conversations or what he's under, you know the uh, what's it, Dunning Kruger. Yes, curve? he's right on the left-hand side of it, where he knows I think very little of a lot. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from this. I mean,
0: uh, oh uh, no, here nope. we go. They're called free martins.
1: Free martins. Okay, no, I'm double checking. So I have to look into his background because otherwise this isn't making any sense to me. So. He was third son of a writer and schoolmaster. Um, he was the grandson of a zoologist and a controversial controversialist, aka Darwin's bulldog. So he had issues with people. I think he fought. He fought for Darwin. Yes, he was an advocate of Darwin's uh, Darwinian theories. His grandfather grandfather was so he's he he has secondhand knowledge. Right his brother and half-brother are outstanding biologists yes okay so so again he's he he knows some he's know some people or his family are but he himself no
0: well like like any any writer you know learn learn to talk to people who know more about a subject than you do yeah and he has family members
1: he has family members um his, he studied in a botanical laboratory, so he knows some, some plant, he understands plant biology, but human biology is not is so great. Yeah, okay, here we go. He wanted to be a doctor.
0: Oh. Ah.
1: He, he got a um, an eye disease that left him practically blind for two or three years, which ended his early dreams of becoming a doctor. This is where this is coming from, honestly. I mean, I'm sure other people will have great studies on this and I'm curious about it
0: the whole what if
1: yeah I'm wondering if that contributed to it yeah so he's he's his his understanding I mean it could be because it's a reflection of the understanding of the times but they must have understood a fair bit more than what they I mean
0: it's hard it's uh, so hard to tell when going back in history because on some levels you think well How little did we know 25 years ago about certain things?
1: Well, honestly, it's, well, you know what, this is a great reflection on the fact that we are constantly in a state of discovery and that what we know now is only, like, the truth is only relative to what we currently can measure and assess with. Mm. And our standard of what is the truth and what is known is always relative to our current quantity and quality of information. Yeah. yeah. So I mean and and this is a
0: fiction book
1: on top of that. So well, it's well, not even based on the concept of truth.
0: And that's what I want to um mention as well. So like the yeah, the first few chapters are all about how this world works, kind of setting the bedrock, this is how this universe works, even if the science is bad, this is how yeah. it works. And now and I actually we can prefer have our that. story within I it. I
1: prefer that in, in um science fiction books, honestly. I like knowing the setting of the world. Um, That's why as much as Anne McCaffrey has some very problematic themes and concepts in her books, the way that she, the way she sets the, she makes the setting, she places the setting before inviting you to dinner, so to speak, Mm. like she sets the table and then she's like, well, and now this is the meal we're going to have. Right. That's I I like that in science fiction writers specifically because it's very hard to try and figure out what is going on in a world like you you need to demonstrate give you rough ideas of the I guess you know when you play sandbox games hmm. you need to have a general idea of the physics of that sandbox game yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah well and, well then I mean uh, horrible ideas aside you'll probably like how this is structured because yeah. We're going to get all this out of the way at the start, and then the story will happen.
1: Yes, yes. So so imagine that next, uh, the next two chapters, probably, if you're still setting the science, uh, I'm going to be a bit grumpity. But other than that, we
0: <laughs> Well, it, it, it goes into some interesting places because, you know, as, as most good stories, it's ultimately about uh, specific people and how they function in the society, or maybe they're not able to function in the society.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: Okay, so um, I think we'll wrap up, shall we? So the music at the top of the podcast for this new book is Soma by Lionel Moser. At the end, we have I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa, as usual.
1: You can find Dave at Dave underscore the underscore turnip at Twitter. And you can find um, myself at Rue McMoo, R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. Same, also at Twitter. And you can find our podcast at SMB SLT Podcast, both on Twitter and Facebook. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's Podcast at gmail.com.
0: I welcome you to join us on this new literary journey we've embarked upon uh, under different circumstances.
1: Who, uh, be patient with us. We're getting our hang around the new technology.
0: It's and who, who knows? At some point, throughout the reading of Brave New World, the, the virus might not be in such a place that we need to be in separate homes anymore, and we might resume as usual.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that... Anyway, so I'm not going to go into it too much because I know that people are listening to this to get an escape from this particular scenario that's going on right now.
0: Let's go into dystopia to escape from our current dystopia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, on that note... Thank you, and see you next time.
0: Yeah, happy reading, everybody.